We are all fascinated with the unexplained because it is just that, unexplained. Our minds need to understand what it is that they are experiencing. The paranormal is a belief. Some choose to believe, some choose not to. In each episode, I will endeavor to take a look at a case of the unexplained and try to determine if these incidents could have a simple explanation or whether the only rational explanation is otherworldly. I hope you'll join me on this journey as I visit a place with a history of hauntings. Hello and welcome back to another episode of A History of Hauntings. Thank you to those of you who joined me last week. It was a little bit different, wasn't it? When you think about this is a paranormal podcast and we chose to look at a possible explanation as to why ghosts aren't real. But like I said last week, I think that's an important part of the journey. Recognising that not every piece of evidence you're going to come across is going to be proof of paranormal activity. And if we are to consider that these things are real, then by the flip side of the coin, we also have to consider that the opposite could be true, that these things may just not be real. There's a reason why you're back here, though, because you, like me, believe that these are genuine. And that this week, we're going to be looking at another case of hauntings that have occurred, and this time again within the UK. I feel it would be remiss of me to do a paranormal podcast in the UK without covering off this place. At one point, it was considered to be the most haunted place within the UK. It's been the subject of many films, many books, and just about everybody has heard of it. Borley Rectory. Now, for obvious reasons, I haven't visited the place. Number one, it was destroyed by a fire. And number two, it's not especially close to where I live. So legally, I couldn't do it at the moment, given the rules of lockdown as I understand them. But nonetheless, it's worth looking at. As always, I will share the websites that I've used and have accessed so that you two can have a read and read up a little bit more about it if you choose to do so. So first of all, I jumped on Wikipedia just to read a little bit about the background. So Borley Rectory was obviously the house that the rector of Borley lived in with his family. It was built in 1862 and was destroyed by fire in 1939 and bulldozed and removed in 44. And it was Harry Price, who is a psychic researcher, who first gave it its title of the most haunted house in Britain. The rectory was built on the site of an old monastery, which is a, a classic of horror movies that were built on these sort of sites. However, in this case, it was actually true. Now, there are reports of hauntings dating back to the mid to late 1800s. However, the only real documented evidence started to appear in the early 1900s. In 1928, a gentleman by the name of Guy Eric Smith and his wife contacted the Daily Mirror newspaper to report some strange going on that they were experiencing and it was the Daily Mirror who had contacted Harry Price and asked him to carry out some research for them probably with a view to writing an article. Certainly having his name attached to it gave it extra credibility. That's interesting in itself isn't it? The first thing you choose to do is to contact a newspaper but I suppose a little bit different back then who would you 
contact. You can't just jump on the internet and Google who researches these kind of things. You're not going to just simply jump on Google, Pickford and Dickinson, parapsychologists, investigators slash consultants. The earliest reports of hauntings there anyway relate to the sighting of a nun. Unusual when you take into account that it was a monastery that was on site, not a nunnery prior to it being a rectory. The story behind it being it was a nun and a monk that had fallen in love and were looking to elope. They were punished quite severely by hanging of the monk and the nun being walled up alive. Seems to be an unusually severe penalty. Could it have happened? I guess. I don't know. But it certainly sounds unlikely. And it is this nun that is then thought to have haunted the property. As well as the nun, there was a lot of poltergeist activity reported as well. Doorbells being rung, doors being opened and closed, etc. One of the previous residents who had reported seeing the nun there was a gentleman by the name of Harry Bull and it, he had actually died at the property and it was apparently the spirit of this Harry Bull that Harry Price had got in contact with when he was searching for who this spirit was. He reportedly tried to exercise the spirit unsuccessfully. The Smiths eventually grew tired of what, what was going on there and they moved out and the next resident Reverend Foister and his wife Marianne also reported similar phenomena and actually they reported much more aggressive poltergeist activity. Windows were being broken, glass was being smashed and on one occasion Marianne was thrown from the bed by an unseen force. The Foisters lasted about five years there which to be fair is a lot longer than I think I would have lasted there. And after they moved out Harry Price himself moved into the property and continued his research. However, he and his team report seeing very little activity there at all once the other residents had moved on. Price recorded his experiences in the form of a book and this was published. It was the most haunted house in England was the evocative title that he gave it. And if you have a look on Twitter at HHauntingPod, the cover art that I've used for this episode actually features the front cover of the book as part of the cover art. As I said, the building burnt down in 1939 but even after this people were still reporting strange phenomena going on it seemed to move to the parish church but people were still seeing the nun and other strange goings on price died in 1948 which was coincidentally the same time that the house was bulldozed the book and everything surrounding the Borley rectory actually didn't do a great deal for Harry Price's reputation. Prior to this he was more or less taken seriously but after it and given it that like I say that title of the most haunted house in Britain I think he was seen to be a little bit of a charlatan who was trying to get publicity from the case. Certainly afterwards a lot of people have tried to discredit his work. Much of the phenomenon being explained away in the ways that we talked about in last week's episode. However, I think there's one thing you do have to bear in mind is it wasn't just the account of Harry Price. The phenomenon that was experienced there dated back over a hundred years, so a couple of generations. So to blame this one individual and say that he was editorializing and sensationalizing it 
seems a little bit unfair because there are a number of accounts of especially the nun reported going back long before harry's birth borley is a small community only 110 people lived there at that time it was three hamlets in essex that made up that community and all worshipped in that parish church and it was way back in the mid 1800s where children had first reported seeing the ghost of a nun that had vanished when they were approached fast forward again to 1900 and the same stories were being told about the nun much of the stories in the investigation centered around this nun and around this story of the nun who was looking to elope with a monk now we have to say that as far as I can tell from reading the different articles, this story does appear not to be true. And let's be honest, it does seem a little bit fanciful. And actually, many suggest that the monastery itself that was supposed to exist there way back into the 1300s, the Benedictine monastery, didn't exist either. That said, in the time that the Smiths lived there, there was the skull of a young lady found in one of the cupboards. And it was after the discovery of the skull that things started to get a little bit interesting for the Smiths. Strange lights started to appear in the house, the noise of footsteps was often heard, and the apparition of a horse-drawn carriage was seen nearby. The paranormal activity only really started when Price started to investigate it. He started to report things like objects being thrown around the house by unseen forces. Interestingly enough, though, these reports ceased when Price wasn't there, which probably added some suspicion. And let's be honest, I think when you hear that statement, you do start to think, was he at least adding to the legend, adding to the stories by spicing it up a little bit? That said though, once the Foisters moved in, the paranormal activity increased, the poltergeist activity increased, and they seemed to centre around the good rector's wife, Marianne. It wasn't just Price who was investigating, a number of other investigators were in the house at any one time, and they all agreed on one thing, that Marianne was the centre of the attention. Now, whether this was, if we're going to be sceptical, fraudulent, that she was the one creating the noises and the diversions, or whether she was indeed the target of the poltergeist activity. When I think of Borley Rectory, one of the most enduring images for me is the writing that had started to appear on the walls. This was the key to the haunting as far as I could tell. The strange writing on the wall purportedly put there by the spirits started to appear in early 1931. Much of it was illegible. However, some of it you could read and it was often addressed to Marianne in fact most of it was addressed to Marianne often it was asking for rest and pleading for mass prayers which again does nod towards the previous rector who had passed away there or possibly the nun I will share a picture of some of the scrawlings on my twitter page again at H Haunting Pod, so you can have a look at them, but also check the show notes because you can click on the links and have a look at the articles, which also feature some of the writings which were appearing on the wall. And the good rector, on one occasion, actually claimed to have seen a pen lift out of his study pot and start writing on the wall in front of him. They used the writings to communicate with the spirits, asking frequently what they were wanting and 
they got the same response each time that it was a spirit that just wanted to rest and this ties in with that very religious belief of what a ghost or what a spirit is that it is the spirit of a human being stuck on this plane traveling whether that is to pass on a message to visit loved ones or just simply stuck in limbo once the foisters moved on and went their separate ways more on that later harry price moved into the property himself and he as we said continued to do his research and he had a number of researchers helping him as we said he failed to discover or uncover anything that unusual in fact most of the activity had stopped now given that a lot of it was centered around marianne i guess we shouldn't be too surprised by that however there is one notable exception to this and this was a seance that was conducted in the property helen glanville was a medium and she did a number of seances at the house on one occasion it was successful she claimed that she had made contact with a male spirit that was unidentified and also the female spirit the spirit of a nun now this unidentified male spirit predicted that the rectory would be destroyed not only did he predict that it would be destroyed he predicted it would be destroyed by fire fast forward exactly 11 months to that date to the 27th of february 1939 and the rectory had a new owner captain wh gregson and as he was moving into the property he inadvertently knocked over an oil lamp and it was this that caused the fire that destroyed the property 11 months to the date after the unidentified male spirit had predicted that the property would burn down the property was absolutely gutted it was utterly destroyed the roof was entirely gone the walls crumbling it was just a shell of a building however this didn't put harry price off he became obsessed and continued to visit the property and he continued to revisit and look at those wall writings and one thing that was bothering him was he felt he could decipher one of the messages which had previously been impossible to decipher he felt that one of the messages read the well tank bothers me or the well tank bottom me and he went into the cellar and began to dig and it was there that he uncovered the skeleton of an unknown female now we have to say at this point as it turned out they weren't the bones of a nun in fact they weren't even the bones of a human being they were i later identified as the bones of a pig the bones were given a burial just in case and actual reports still differ many reports still being that it was actually the skull bone and the jaw bone of a human body the building was destroyed in 1944 raised to the ground with an explosion and to this date is still thought of as one of the most haunted houses that has ever existed on the british isles that said though there are a number of people who will refute this and there are a number of reasons as to why they refute it first of all one of the final claims that harry price made was he was present at the time that the property was destroyed they took several photographs while they were watching the property being destroyed 
and one of the photographs allegedly showed a brick that is hovering in mid-air. Now, obviously, it's been destroyed. It could easily be thrown from the wreckage. It's a little bit fanciful to claim that. Yes, it certainly appears, though it could be on there. But let's be honest, highly, highly unlikely and very easily refuted. Now, just as a point of correction, I actually said that Price died in the same year that Borley Rectory was destroyed earlier in the podcast and I have to give you a correction on that, that wasn't the case. Borley Rectory was destroyed in 1944, Price passed away four years later in 1948. Another piece of information that I gave you was the fact that the Foisters went their separate ways after leaving Borley Rectory. Now this isn't anything to do with the hauntings themselves, or is it? Because Marion the wife of Rector Lionel Foister later went on to claim that she had made it all up, that there was no haunting. She had a hand in doing it. And her reasoning behind that is because she was actually having an affair with the lodger who was living there at the time. They actually left and went on to live together afterwards. She claimed that she made it up because any noises, anything that was unexplained in around the house that obviously was related to her and the lodger having an affair, she would explain away by saying this rather fanciful story that it was haunted and it was the ghosts and the spirits that were making those noises. Marianne wasn't the only inhabitant of the house who later went on to discredit the stories. Lewis Mailing, who was a researcher who lived there throughout much of the time that the hauntings were being reported moving in in round about i think 1918 and staying there for around about 20 years off and on also claimed that the stories were a hoax he was there when harry bull was living there and describes him as somewhat of an eccentric someone who reveled in the stories of the hauntings and frequently told stories of the nun uh, family of ghosts etc the old house had a number of secret doorways and a number of secret passageways and it was through these that the children would disappear, ring the bells of the servants, pluck the strings on the piano etc just to make it appear as though something unusual was going on and he was somewhat dismayed to find this out. So reading that I have to say I was really disappointed but then something struck me a little bit unusual about that if you are researching this and you find out almost immediately that it is false, why do you then stay there for 20 years, devoting 20 years of your life to something that you know is not genuine? Whether it was an attention-seeking thing or you was just having a lot of fun with it, I don't know, but that strikes me as a little bit unusual. Mailing himself actually claims to have also been one of the ghosts. He was encouraged when he was living there with the Foisters to walk around the garden late at night with his cape drawn up tight around his neck to appear as though he were some form of headless corpse that was often sighted in the gardens. That said, Mailing does recall one incident in which he has no explanation for. It was Easter 1935 and Shaw, Norman, Spilsbury, Mailing and Marianne Foister attended a seance at Borley. 
He says, We chose an ill-lit and underground cellar at about midnight and sat in silence. He recalls that someone gave a nervous cough and was about to speak when an extraordinary thing happened. The kitchen battles seemed to clang together in one single clash. Now, those that were present at the seance were the only people in the property at the time. And Maley states that he knew from his own experience that the multiple bells that were ringing in the kitchen, it was impossible to get those servant bells ringing all at the same time. It just simply could not be done. Yet, they were 100% certain that that is what they heard. What happened next was even more unusual. And I'm quoting Mailing's words as I read this. Norman jumped up and then there was a lightning strike of silver blue light which appeared to implode from all walls and the ceiling of the cellars and then there was a dead silence, he said. Shaw had been in the process of pushing a box of matches diagonally across the table and Norman was half off his chair in the turning position but every member of the seance was struck with an instant paralysis which lasted for around five seconds. Norman and Shaw actually refused to spend the night in the house after that, so shaken were they by the experience, and Mailing himself was blinded, and he only ever recovered the sight in one of his eyes. I can't explain that occurrence, and to be honest, it still makes me feel rather shaken, he said. The rest of the hauntings were, without exception, the most successful hoax of the age, but that one still sets my spine tingling. Now that's a very interesting tale that he tells there. So this is someone who's sceptical, who knows the stories to be, for the most part, untrue and falsified, yet reports seeing something there that he cannot explain. So could we draw then from the conclusions of that that some of these incidents are real and a number were falsified by people who wanted to further the reputation of the building as being the most haunted building in Britain? And this ties in a little bit about what we were talking about last week. And yes, certainly, the, a lot of these things that are unexplained can be explained by something rather mundane or by someone who is falsifying something. However, in amongst the nonsense, some of these things genuinely are unexplained. Some of these things have no worldly explanation. I'm not saying that they are for sure haunting, but we have to consider the possibility that they just may be. Prior to the ramping up of the experiences of the house that Price had reported, that the Foisters and the Smiths had also experienced, these people may have sensationalized some of it. But is it not possible? Is it not possible that some of those experiences that they had there were true? And actually, going back over the hundred years or so, that other people were still reporting seeing this nun in the gardens or in the property. Is it possible that some of those incidents were true? While a lot of the work that Price had done can be brought into question, I guess, what we have to say is this man was certainly interested in it. When he first arrived there, he turned up believing that there was something unusual going on, something unexplained that he wanted to get to the bottom of. He has obviously been tarnished with that reputation of adding to the mythology that surrounded Baller Rectory. And certainly when you sensationalise it by calling it the most haunted house in Britain, then yeah, I guess you can start to see why people would think, well, hang on a minute. The fact that the Smiths called in the Daily Mirror rather than contacting somebody else, the fact that they searched out publicity 
does bring into question their motives as well. So you can see why those questions arose. But yet, still to this day, there are reports of strange things going on. And in fact, I will include in the show notes a modern newspaper article sharing the story of somebody who'd had a strange experience, somebody who'd seen something unusual on the old site where Borley Rectory once stood. A young man by the name of Russell. Now, he first set foot in this place around about the year 2000 when he visited with his uncle. And his uncle had asked him if he knew any of the stories about Borley Rectory. And after he'd finished telling him his ghostly tales, Russell became aware of something quite unusual he had seen a a young boy dressed in a victorian outfit something his uncle hadn't seen now they later went back and visited the site and why you would want to i don't know but they went back at night whether to give themselves the spooks or to find something unusual there i don't know but as they approached they heard a loud thud on the side of their car so they pulled over to inspect it to see if they'd hit something they hadn't anyway They got back in the car, having found nothing unusual, and carried on with their journey towards where the old rectory used to be sighted. And at some point, Russell's uncle stopped the car, in which the people in the car, including Russell, sort of said, why have you stopped? And he said, oh, to let her come through. Interesting that he used the phrase, her, because they'd seen two lights that were approaching, and they thought it was a car. Lights which just simply vanished. There was no car there. It was merely two floating lights or orbs, if you will, that they'd seen. And I'm sure that isn't the only incident that has been reported. So we have to say there's probably near enough 200 years worth of incidents that have been reported. And maybe records don't go back long enough to actually record everything that has actually happened there. Are they genuine or are they not? Certainly what I've done here is cite the evidence as we see it. If you're a skeptic and a non-believer, and there's nothing wrong with that, then you're going to listen to the reports that Marianne made, that Mailing made, saying that these were all falsehoods, and think, well, that's just it. Attention seekers claiming that this was the most haunted property in Britain. When we look at the Amityville horror and what surrounded that, where it seemed to be people exaggerating and exacerbating the stories that had happened there. But that's not to say that nothing happened there. Certainly there may have been an element of these people exaggerating their stories for their own reasons and you know we can speculate as to what they might be whether it's to hide up an affair or an eccentric chap who liked to tell ghost stories who knows who knows certainly the story of the nun endures now was there a monastery there a benedictine monastery but got dating back 1300s you know quite possibly For me, that story of the nun and the monk who are going to elope is almost certainly false. But let's think about this. This building was a rectory. The rector of the parish lived there. It really isn't that far-fetched of an idea that a nun could be visiting. That the spirit of a nun could be drawn there, could be attached to the property. It really isn't that far-fetched at all. Like I've said a few times now. This is a matter of belief. It's about what you believe and what you want to believe. If you're listening to this podcast, then I'm willing to bet that you're wanting to find out a little bit more about otherworldly experiences. So I'm willing to bet that you're with me on this one and you think that maybe there is just a little bit more to this story than the little bits that people have added potentially for publicity. 
That's it anyway for this week. We had to visit the stories of the Borley Rectory. It's one place I couldn't visit because it's been burnt down. Although at some point I would love to visit the site where it stood. And obviously if I do, you can bet I will do a podcast there and we'll be recording a little bit on site. If there's anything you'd like to hear me talk about on this podcast, or even if you'd like to come on this podcast yourself and share some ghost stories, then I'd love to hear them. Please get in contact at hhauntingpod on Twitter or via email hhauntingpod at hotmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. But for now, I will bid you a fond farewell and I hope that next time you'll be joining me again as I visit a place with a history of hauntings. Bye.